choice but to totally destroy North Korea. international military market enthusiasts this is matthew beers your host for forecast roundtable today we'll be discussing part four of our 2020 global defense spending annual snapshot joining us will be tom dolzel our latin american analyst tell us about uh latin america who are some of the big defense spenders in uh, 2019 yeah so defense spending in latin america in a lot of ways has been fairly, fairly consistent over time in terms right. of the, the hierarchy of countries that okay. are really on the top level. Yeah. And so when you're looking at 2019, it's largely the same, but certain economic factors have shaken things up a little bit. Right. But so in the number one spot, first and foremost, is Brazil. And when Brazil. you're talking about defense spending in Latin America, it's really Brazil first and then everyone and else. And then everyone else. Right? Everyone else. So <laughs> in 2019, Brazil was at about 28 uh, 0.6 billion U- right. U.S. dollars in terms of its annual defense budget, and that accounts for nearly half, around 47 percent of the entire region. Right. So it's really the major player. But there are a number of, course, of others. Yeah. Um, so coming up at second is Colombia, which was at 9.6 billion okay. uh, U.S. dollars in 2019, and then Mexico at 6.23. And those are the top three. Other major players include Chile, about 2.6 billion. Cuba, which we estimated around 2.3, though right. it's fairly opaque, so that might not be exact. And then you also have Peru at around 2.2 billion. Argentina is, is traditionally a major spender, but economics have really hurt there this year. And yeah, that's, they're having problems. It's one of the major shakeups, yeah. uh, and they're not alone, but they're the most dramatic case. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, in 2019, for example, Argentina increased its defense spending in right. local currency by around mm-hmm. 25%. Okay. And that might sound pretty significant, <laughs> but that's just a veil on the fact that they're struggling against all the odds to control their, with the rise of inflation. Right. And even that 25% increase isn't getting anywhere close. You know, right now we're seeing, uh, you know, circa this month, you know, 2020, we're seeing inflation rates in Argentina that are in excess of 50%. And so relative, right. <laughs> relative to, um, you know, the 2018 to 2019 comparative spread, yeah. you're seeing uh, nearly 40% fall in the real U.S. dollar value wow. of Argentina's defense budget this year. Okay. And so that really kind of shook things up, and it really came at kind of the worst time for them. Yeah, that's important to note. Um, and then the other wild card here, too, is Venezuela. So Venezuela, yeah. You know, in 2014, 2015, Venezuela was already in the midst of an economic crisis. Right. Uh, Inflation was already getting out of control, but their defense budget was generally valued at around 2.2 billion. So pretty significant for the region. Right. But by this point, I mean, circa late 2019, the IMF, you know, was coming out saying inflation in Venezuela is at 10 million percent. 10 million percent. 10 okay. million. It's hard to even yeah. conceptualize. Uh, and so what does that yeah. even, you know, what does that do to a defense budget? And that's compounded by the fact that, you know, as the political crisis has gotten worse, the uh, opacity with which the Maduro government releases budget right. figures and budget processes has just gotten worse and worse. And so it's very, very difficult to really accurately gauge 
what their capabilities are relative to their budget. Yeah. And it's compounded even further. And this is something that's uh, a problem in a number of Latin American states, but it's particularly bad in Venezuela, which is, you know, the military owns a lot of assets. Right. And so they have all sorts of informal funding mechanisms. Yeah. Uh, and you have, you know, it's very hard to estimate how much of that funding is a going into the military, but even if it's going into the military, you know, is it just going to maintain the loyalty of individual officers or is that actually right. building readiness? Yeah. And you know, that's a real challenge. Uh, and then the one other thing I would, uh, just as a interesting footnote, yeah. you know, the, for many, many years, the, Haitian military, which its military budget is tiny, even by regional standards, right. but 50% increased this year because yeah, yeah. the just, you know, within the year, really, you finally see the estab- reestablishment of the administrative hierarchy right. of the the renewed uh, Haitian armed forces. Well, they have an armed forces now before exactly. it was just a police forces. Right. right. Yeah. The, the institution was oh. uh, abolished and its reinstatement is very controversial because of right. the history it's played yeah. uh, in, in interfering with domestic politics. Right. And so it's going to be interesting there because now there is a budget in place. The manpower is finally coming on to active duty. Right. Uh, but that country is another one that's, you know, in the midst of uh, another political and economic crisis. Yeah, always, so status always <laughs> indeed, yeah. but uh, even, even worse than usual uh, oh, okay. in this case. Yeah. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this brand new institution that is already controversial. Right. And now is being, you know, given a significant uh, pool of money by, by the standards of the Haitian government. And, you know, right. is that going to last? And, and uh, Haiti, um, the, the other Caribbean, uh, South American nations, uh, th- they're not really focused on external threats. Uh, Venezuela might might be one of the only countries that's only, that may be slightly focused on external threats, like Colombia or the United States or something like that. But we have these other countries, and they're and they're focused on counterinsurgency, ISR, things like this, right? Precisely. Yeah. Okay. I mean, when you're talking about the security environment in Latin America. You know, you can basically break it into two halves, right? It's some of these major spenders. Brazil is really the big one. Uh, Chile, to a lesser, though still great extent. And those are the countries that are really focused on their conventional military frameworks, right? Right. Uh, They have not only a certain, um, you know, status as regional powers, but they also have an international standing that they want to maintain, and a power projection capacity that they think is appropriate for a country of their status and their economic largesse. And so really, when you're talking about the development of capabilities, it's really these handful of countries. Brazil is by far the number one, and I'd say Chile is the second, that are focused on things like, you know, surface warfare vessels, fighter aircraft. Almost all of the other countries in the region are really oriented around basically maintaining their manpower pools, right? And building their counterinsurgency capacity. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that comes in in two elements, right? So these are countries that are facing fundamentally internal threats. Like you said, the interstate diplomatic and strategic environment in Latin America is very benign by international standards. There's a handful of territorial disputes, but these are largely arbitrated. And really have very little possibility of breaking out into open conflict again. It's just not right. likely. And like you said, Venezuela is the only one that is really kind of thinking about 
the possibility of an external invasion. And even that right. is very, really very unlikely, uh, yeah. according to my estimates. So everyone else is looking at, to a lesser extent, militant groups, which are yeah. sort of uh, this holdover from the ideological conflicts of the Cold War era. But yeah. really, we're talking about organized crime, right? Right. Mexico, El Salvador. And these can range in sophistication, and also they usually you know, intermingle and interact with each other, right. from small localized gangs to extremely sophisticated international networks. Yeah. And the onus on most of these states is really just getting boots on the ground and holding territory. Because over the past 20 years in particular, what you've seen is that regional law enforcement bodies are simply too underfunded and therefore either incapable or so co-opted and so captured that they're just not sufficient to Mm -hmm. deal with the level of criminality that's occurring in countries with extraordinarily high homicide rates like Mexico, like El Salvador. And so the governments have been compelled in many regards to utilize the armed forces as the primary mechanism of law enforcement. And it is, uh, it's very divisive. It's very controversial. And in, you know, in the case of Mexico, there's, you know, a compelling argument here that, you know, over the past, since 2006, when the soldiers first entered the street, you really haven't seen a reduction in violence, but the state just doesn't know how else to even cope with this problem. And yeah. so the military is that arm. It, do- it doesn't help because you don't know who in the military is actually with the military or with one of these groups. Historically, I know I've, I've traveled to Mexico. I've talked to people there and they say, oh, well, they're in the military, but they're also part of the drug cartel. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why when you're talking about budgetary increases, in most of these countries, it's not going to hardware. Yeah. It's going to personnel costs. Yeah. And part of that is just, that's natural in all militaries. Personnel is always... Buying people off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but, you know, in, in every military on Earth, basically, you know, personnel costs are the bulk. You very know? high. Yeah, very um, high. And in, in Latin America, it's... Uh, significant with pensions as well, which has become a, a political issue in recent uh, years. Everywhere, the world over, the pension world, systems the pension are systems failing. is a big problem. Yeah. Uh, in, in Brazil, it's a huge area of controversy now. But so, you know, in, in many areas of the world, you know, maintaining manpower costs, personnel costs, you know, right. it's a morale issue, it's a yeah. readiness issue. But because of the security threats in Latin America... Maintaining those personnel costs is also a security issue, exactly yeah. because of what you said. If you're using the military as the primary mechanism against organized crime and your soldiers are being so underpaid and are in such poor you know, conditions yeah, on their bases, you know, you're incentivizing them to either engage in criminal activity themselves to, you know, for sustainment effectively... Right. Or to be bought off by any of these actors, just like your civilian law enforcement is being. And so raising wages and maintaining loyal personnel has become a real focus. It's got to be difficult. Even in the United States, if you're a private or or a low-ranking soldier, um, even in the United States, you don't get paid... Yeah, that much. I could, let alone in one of these other countries. I can only imagine it's extraordinarily challenging, and yeah. you know they've only made a dent. And so, when these countries can do procurement, though, uh, you know it's overwhelmingly things that are going to be directed towards surveillance, interdiction, right? Basically, how can I 
see what the enemy combatants or organized criminal entities are doing mm-hmm. and how can I get my guys there, right? And right. so uh, obviously, you know, again, in a lot of these countries, very underdeveloped infrastructure, particularly as with regards to roads, right. huge areas of very rough terrain, right. jungle, you know, you need those assets to be able to simply get your guys around if and much less actually hold the territory. And right. so, you know, surplus helicopters are one of the, you know, the biggest. I know uh, Russia sells a lot of helicopters down there. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. For new-built helicopters, uh, Russia is a big uh, provider. You know, Peru, right. uh, a big market for them. And they provide, you know, their rugged rugged machines right. at an affordable cost. And likewise, you know, when they when countries are buying, you know, U.S. hardware, it's usually, you know, surplus UH right uh 1h's and things like that and you know drones though are really an emerging market here because i can imagine yeah you know now that the the costs on those systems continue to go further and further down right they're an extremely valuable asset i can imagine uh where you can do surveillance at a much lower cost than you would be able to uh particularly on the localized level than a turboprop aircraft which requires not only the maintenance and the purchase of the aircraft itself. So but case, case in point, what I've been saying training. this whole time is just because an economy or a country or an entire continent, such as South America or Africa, maybe some of these smaller countries in, in Southeast Asia, um, don't have big budgets and, um, and aren't even close to one of the world's largest defense spenders, uh, doesn't mean there isn't a very lucrative market. Like you just said, the UAV market in South America might be a very lucrative market for certain companies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's there's going to be a huge demand so long as these countries are in the state of internal crisis, and yeah. that's just not going to go away because the fundamental factors that are driving those crises are structural and they're economic right. and they're not going anywhere. And so those kind of assets are going to become extremely important in the next, you know, five, ten years. Okay. So if you're looking to sell UAVs, give Tom a call and he'll talk to you about it. Um, I know that uh, when I was doing the R&M book in the retrofit and modernization book, South America, at the time when I was writing it, it, it seemed like it was, in general, the economies were starting to do better. Is, is that still the case? So it's a real divide. Um, and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, what we're seeing really is, you know, after the collapse of commodities prices and around 2014, 2015, you know, the whole region got hit really hard. Um, And we started to see signs of nascent recovery, but at this point, in the majority of cases, particularly in many of the big economies, unfortunately, what we found is stagnation instead, right? Things have kind of hit a flat line, and a lot of countries are approaching relapse or re-entry into recession. So, okay. um, you know, Brazil obviously is the Titan economy in the region right. and people were, you know, analysts, uh, the Brazilian government itself was projecting a pretty healthy return to growth this year, but yeah. that hasn't happened at all. Right. Yeah. We're seeing growth in, uh, lower than 1% for 2019, right? Oh, so, so that bad was bad outlook for them. If we're having this recession coming up they're uh, yeah, they're already doing bad. Right, you know, yeah. things are really on on kind of the back burner for them, and it's it is a huge concern because 
there might not only be a quote of sort of a wider recession, yeah. but a lot of these countries are are heading towards sort of a return to regional recession, and it's been very right. hard to dig themselves out of it. And so that's going to really stunt defense budgets for right. a long time, right? So, I mean, in Brazil is, again, an excellent case because you have a new administration right. in Brazil, Bolsonaro, who is looks very favorably on the armed forces as an institution, right? right? And they did marginally increase their budget in local currency terms. But, for example, near the end of the year, they had to, you know, step in and freeze around 500, or, sorry, 5 billion in local currency spending, procurement spending, because the economic situation just does not allow that level of spending right now. Yeah. And so it's putting a real damper on a lot of their initiatives. I mean, in the Brazilian case, they've been able to insulate some of the major programs. So ProSub is their tax submarine program. Right. Uh, They've still purchased a new helicopter carrier to replace their aircraft carrier. Um, How are they ever going to do that? I mean, their political state has for the longest time just been absolutely broken. Is is there any sign that, I mean, you can't fix your economy if you have no foundation, it just seems, are, are they going in the right direction with that? Uh, well, my my personal feeling, uh, you know, it, it, there's a certain level of, you know, controversy as there is with anything, but right. my feeling would generally be no. Yeah. Um, you know, when Bolsonaro was elected, there was a lot of um, sort of hopeful chatter in the business community yeah. uh, about how the liberalization of the economy would spur growth and investment but i think what you've seen uh, you know in sort of practice is that there's much more continuity yeah. in how bolsonaro is leading than there is a break right and you know corruption remains endemic both yeah. broadly within the economy itself but within his administration in particular yeah and a lot of the growth initiatives that are being pursued are not necessarily sustainable, right? I mean, we're looking at very high environmental costs, very divisive in terms of uh, their social aspect, particularly as it pertains to uh, indigenous communities, the Amazon, this sort of thing. And, you know, the government is kind of caught in a bind right now as well because they're inclined in many regards to cut down on public spending and there is a debt issue right but there's also public anger at the reduction of public services yeah. and a fear that you know if you start implementing austerity measures what a lot of these other countries in Latin America have found what a lot of countries in Europe has found is austerity these austerity spending measures um they're implemented to spur growth and they ended up Actually, it becomes a worse situation. Ex- it, yeah. it compounds the structural problems instead of fixing yeah, they, them. They don't seem to work out too well. No, uh, yeah. you know, public spending uh, or, you know, the spending of the populace goes down. Yeah. Uh, and it creates all sorts of new economic problems. And so, you know, Bolsonaro is in this strange place where his finance ministry is sort of flirting with maybe doing uh, some stimulus packages. But yeah. then there's they're also pulling in this other direction. And so, you know, that's going to continue to be a real problem i think and it's it's going to take you know it's going to take decades to sort of sort out the structural factors there that are causing the problems uh, yeah i mean i can imagine it's difficult uh, a foreign company saying they want to invest in i don't know the brazilian defense industry as small as it is or they want to make a deal 
with the, uh, the Brazilian government and the military to, I don't know, sell them a new aircraft. And even if they have the money, which you definitely can't be guaranteed of, if they have the money, the political situation um, is, is, is so dangerous in, in terms of, you know, a new administration coming in, things changing, yep. um, the instability for, for investing your time and energy right. to work with the government. Um, I, I just don't see a lot of people wanting to actually go in there and, and work with them. Yeah, case. I mean, it's tough. And of course, this year, it's it's been compounded by any number of things, right? So at the, yeah. en- at the end of the year, um, you know, we got this huge wave of protest activity across the region. And that was really the yeah. story that emerged out of Latin America um, in uh, within the last year. And it came really at the tail end there. And the thing with the, the protest activity, though, is it's you know, it's sort of a, it's a very interesting window in the different directions that the region is being headed in. And, you know, in the intermediate term, it, you know, it's frightening probably for investors, you know, it's, right. you know, the disorder, but it's also Definitely. perhaps hopeful yeah. um, because you do see these two different directions, right? On one hand, the past two years in particular in Latin America, you've seen the resurgence of a lot of authoritarian forces, right? And right. sort of these lingering legacies yeah. of, decades of military dictatorship in many countries kind of coming back, uh, rabid nationalism in many cases, but at the same time, and personified in some regards with this protest activity, mm-hmm. you're also seeing a new generation, a new uh, understanding of politics within the region right. where people are aware of their rights um, within the system and are very mobilized and very active yeah. in trying to you know, push governments to accommodate their interests. And on a country-by-country basis, how that, you know, pans out is going to be very different. Right. But there is a, you know, a hunger for sort of an accountability and transparency in government in a way that, you know, there just hasn't been. And that's going to play out in every sector of society, from the economy, but also in terms of the defense budget. And defense budget-wise, you know, you're probably going to see reductions in most countries in right. the coming two to three years, right? So, you know, in countries like Ecuador, Chile, Colombia, and, you know, in two of those cases, you know, it's interesting because um, in the Colombian case and the Chilean case, right, these were countries that actually rode the wave of economic crisis quite well on the macroeconomic level. Okay, they rode it well? <laughs> they rode it well. They ma- right. maintained high levels of economic growth, right? Okay. Um, and they were widely viewed as economic success stories in the region right. uh, and which is why it caught at you know a lot of international observers by surprise when this these vociferous protests broke right. out yeah. but those high that high level of macroeconomic growth was sort of obfuscating a lot of really divisive social issues yeah. and a lot of structural problems right. uh, that are you know were sort of impeding the real stability underneath Right. of the country, right? So high income inequality and, again, the implementation implementation of austerity measures. People saw that their countries were uh, doing well in the macroeconomic level yeah. and didn't see commensurate returns in terms of, you know, wages and standard of living and stuff like this. Right. Um, and so, you know, 2020, 2021 are going to be really delicate periods for a lot of these countries because you have incumbent governments, right. which you know, are, you know, they're 
objective, you know, is getting international investment, controlling right. the debt burden uh, that is quite crippling uh, authentically in many of these countries. Yeah. Uh, but they also have to accommodate, you know, the interests and demands of, you know, common people who are worried about their livelihoods right. and their day to day. And, you know, in Chile and Ecuador and, you know, particularly the Ecuadorian government during the height of the protests, you know, yeah. had, to, had to flee the capital. Yeah. Um, you know, the public, <laughs> the public anger is there and they've reached a detente, but it's going to be a real process of negotiation yeah. over, you know, how you distribute this relatively limited funding pool that the government has access to. Yeah. And so, you know, in 2020, we've, yeah, you know, the Chile, Ecuador, you know, begun releasing their yeah. defense budgets and you are seeing reductions. Okay. And so that's going to happen in a lot of these countries because, again, when these governments are looking, you know, where can we draw funding from, the military is going to be a, a prime place because, yeah. you know, these are institutions that are sort of separated from society and in, they've, you know, gone right. <laughs> uh, with, with unopportune budgets for some time. And so, you as know, long as they pay those pensions, as long as they get That's those all they pensions, have to do, pay the pensions and everything follows, <laughs> you know, uh, and so, you know, procurement's going to be, uh, tough for a lot of these countries, um, even more so than usual, yeah. but you know, still there's, there's hope. That's, that's a big thing I take out of this. There is still hope in yeah. South America for investors. Absolutely. And, right, you know, awesome. there are, uh, and I will say too, you know, the, the thing is that there are domestic industries of some of these, the domestic defense industries of some right. of these larger countries are really lucrative and really actually fruitful and okay. effective, right? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we've talked a lot about corruption and, and deficiencies, inefficiencies, um, but there is a lot of, you know, really interesting work happening in the local defense sector, right? Yeah. So very successful multinational companies have, you know, established very lucrative partnerships, right? I mean, Embraer yeah. is an international success story. We oh, saw, huge. We yeah. saw uh, this past year they formed this partnership with Boeing right. that has enormous potential, yeah. uh, you know, in the ground vehicles market. You have yeah. Iveco, mm -hmm. uh, which <coughs> has facilities in Brazil mm -hmm. and, has been, and has done very significant work, both in terms yeah. of the civil market, but also, you know, armored vehicles. Right. Uh, the Colombian shipbuilding industry is doing yep. a lot of interesting work interesting. on the regional okay. defense market, yeah. you know, um, offshore patrol vessels. Okay. Um, and so there are a lot of these kind of up and coming um, regional defense contractors that, you know, you're probably going to see you reach a certain level of uh, international success in kind of middle income countries in terms of exporting I, I their goods. I didn't know that. That's, uh, yeah, that's and so, great. you know, it's... Um, Good for you, South America. Exactly, and yeah. I mean, I, you know, a lot of countries around the world are dealing, if not with organized crime, but they're dealing with low-intensity conflicts, yeah. irregular conflicts, and so a lot of these tools and assets, you know, things like the Super Tucano, yeah. or some of these offshore patrol vessels, are really well-suited to... Super Tucano, very popular now. Very popular. Everybody wants one. Exactly, I mean... Yeah. Cost-effective, but also operationally extremely yeah. suited to exactly its role. what these countries are looking for. And so there is, you know, potential there for growth in yeah. the long term. Potential for growth. That's what we're all looking for. Yep. <laughs> Tom, thank you. No problem. Thanks for having me.
Thank you for joining us in the fourth and final part of our series on the 2020 Global Defense Spending Annual Snapshot. We don't know when the next podcast is going to be, but hopefully it's soon. If you want to be part of this podcast, if you want to come and talk with us about a very interesting subject in the aerospace or power systems or defense industry, give us a call at Forecast International. We'd love to talk to you. If you're interested in one of our products here at Forecast International, give us a call. We're one of the best market intelligence companies out there. In fact, I think we're probably the best. 